0: Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode...
1: I think uh, you cannot be what you cannot see. So we need women to be more visible. And this is what today is all about, right? Getting female founder a platform to be more visible. And that will inspire the next generation of founders.
0: Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org, Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks very much for joining this Impact Gathering session today. My name is Tom Allen and I'm passionate about bringing the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Now, this Impact Gathering series is hosted in collaboration with both Mama Got Skills and Impact Boom to facilitate candid conversations with purpose-led women. And today we'll be exploring funding and growing your impact enterprise with the wonderful panel that you see before yourselves. So before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that I'm calling in from, and that's in Brisbane, and that's the Turrbal and Yagara people. And I'd like to pay my respect to the elders past, present and emerging, and recognise too that these have always been lands of teaching and learning and sharing, so all my respect goes to our indigenous people. I'm stepping in for Carly Dole today, who is from Mama Got Skills, who's unfortunately unwell, but she has sent her wishes and is looking forward to catching up on the conversation in the podcast and and other conversations with you post this chat today. So on today's panel, we have, as I said, a wonderful panel, and I'll just briefly introduce them all before we kick into things. So we have Anna Gunther, who is the founder of PledgeMe, which is New Zealand's first crowdfunding platform. Hi. So, hi. Anna, it's great to have you here. And since launching eight years ago, over 1500 creative community and entrepreneurial campaigns have raised over $50 million through PledgeMe, which is a huge feat. And the other thing that I know about Anna is that she loves cheese and she co-founded Cheese Cartel. Is that So correct?
2: much. I love <laughs> cheese so much.
0: <laughs> favourite cheese, Anna? Oh, man. You can't pick a
2: favourite. That's like picking a favourite child.
0: <laughs> so true. <laughs> Thanks for joining, Anna. It's great to have you here. We also have Belinda Morrissey, and great to have you here, Belinda. Welcome along.
3: Thanks, Sam. Great to be here.
0: And look, Belinda is the CEO of the English Family Foundation, which is a private foundation whose vision is to support transformational change in our world through the growth and development of social entrepreneurs and social businesses. The English Family Foundation has provided significant support for the social enterprise sector in Australia and has helped catalyse growth of the movement nationally. So it's a pleasure to have you here, Belinda. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. We also have Lisa Siganto, And Lisa Siganto is co-founder and chair of White Box Enterprises and Impact Queensland alongside other roles. Great to have you here, Lisa.
4: Thanks, Tom. Thanks, everyone.
0: Look, Lisa's a venture portfolio and social impact evaluation expert with over 20 years experience as a board director. She's also a member of SHEEO and Brisbane Angels. So thanks for coming along, Lisa. And finally, we have Camille Socket-Clerk. Nice to have you here, Camille.
1: Hello. It's great to be here. Thank you.
0: Now, Camille is the founder of Bloom Impact Investing, which is an early stage company which is on a mission to build a carbon-free economy that allows people and the planet to thrive. Now, Camille aims to help people invest in climate solutions and learn about sustainable finance and impact investing so that they can build their wealth while making a difference. And it's been a pleasure to be working with Camille recently as part of the Elevate Plus Accelerator program, which wound up back in July. So great to have you here, Camille. Thank you. So how is today going to work? Now, we have roughly 40 odd minutes of panel conversation today before we kick into the Q&A where you are going to be more than welcome to to come on in and and join us and and ask your questions um, or just provide your experience too. So please feel free to use that chat function uh, on Zoom to add your own experiences and questions as we head on through today's session. So let's kick off. And to kick off, it'd be great to hear from all of you panelists, really, on a little bit more about your backgrounds. So Anna, I might start with you, if we have a minute or two each, to hear really what led you to where you are today. It's a huge question, but what led to your passion in in social enterprise and crowdfunding, Anna? Yeah, so kia
2: kocha, my name is Anna. And yeah, like I started my company out of frustration. I was a government worker, decided to go back and do a master's of entrepreneurship, and was really excited by crowdfunding. So I ended up doing a thesis on crowdfunding, and as part of that was like, well, why don't I just start this thing? And I think the reason I cared so much about it was because I had been a grant administrator uh, deciding who should get funded or not. And I thought it was really dumb that I was making those decisions. And I got really excited by the idea of actually technology allowing people's communities to decide whether they should be funded or not. And so, yeah, it just got started and what we originally created looked really bad. So it's evolved a lot since we first launched. And I think that's one of my biggest lessons learned along this journey is that you have to love the problem you're solving more than the solution you've created, because it's going to change as soon as people start using it, especially if you have no money to start with and you have a really bad design. But yeah, so that's really where I got started. It was eight years ago and it's just been growing ever since then. But it's, it's a constant of highs and lows, the best things and the worst things often often happen in the same week.
0: Wonderful. Thanks very much, Anna. that's great to hear that. And I know you have international experience too when starting in New Zealand and then coming over to Australia and launching PledgeMe over here as, as well. And now you're back in New Zealand, a little bit restricted by COVID, but some, some fantastic experience there. So thank you. I might move us to Lisa now. So Lisa, if you can tell us a little bit about what brought you on your what sort of led you on your journey into this impact investing space.
4: Thanks, Tom. As the oldest here, I think I could spend the next two hours rambling. But (laughs) where I am right now is that we're building an impact fund and we're building it because there is a gap in the market of providing the right funding for startup ventures in the for-purpose space. It's not necessarily that I'm totally passionate about finance and funding. However, I sort of thought back, it's sort of a fundamental that I'd really encourage everybody to not avoid and to take on and to learn about and feel comfortable about because it's really important for all your businesses. And if you're sort of subcontracting that off to somebody else, then you're you're missing major stuff. So how I got into it was I really loved maths at school a long time ago. And at that time, the only thing to do next was to teach maths, which I didn't want to do. So I did engineering, but that didn't teach me anything about finance and funding. So I went off to Harvard Business School and I'm literally on the plane from London to Boston i was learning accounting for the first time in the book beforehand and i found myself in classes which were really exciting with you know wall street bankers and stuff i knew nothing about at the age of 25 but it taught me the basics which i've had ever since which is about cash flow modeling about valuation about forecasting and everybody in their business needs that and also that what's the right funding and finance at the time so from there, I ended up doing strategy consulting, which was not banking or finance, but I've always had that fundamental that you can't do a strategy if you don't have it linked to finance. So got into over time, got into social enterprise and now profit for purpose. And it's just one of those like fundamental basics that we can't let other people do for us because if you don't understand it, then you're gonna lose you know, the right direction for your company.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah great insights there Lisa thanks for sharing and amazing that you're able to condense all that experience down into a couple of minutes
4: (laughs) okay was a long time I know (laughs) Tom
0: but we could chat all day about all the other experiences that you have you know really learned over the years Lisa I'm going to cut to Belinda now and Belinda Morrissey being the head of English Family Foundation as the CEO fantastic experience you have Belinda really in, in philanthropy so what is it that led you down that that path and and why such a passion for social enterprise
3: thanks Tom so yeah I guess so my background after uni which I did economics because I was sort of fascinated by the business model and went into international banking and asset management which sort of took me through a few different countries and the highlights that come with the high polluting asset management. And when I was in London, I just really kind of woke up one day and went, this is actually not what I want to be doing. And this does not align with my values. And I think that at that point in time, when you look at changing careers, it's a really interesting time to sort of self-reflect and try and get to understand yourself and understand your strengths and your weaknesses. And And I always knew that I wanted to do something with a better purpose, but I'm not a frontline worker. And at that point, one of the clients that I won for the asset house that I worked for was a community foundation. Mm. And I just went, oh, my God, that is so brilliant because it was logical. Here's money. Here's organizations that need it. You match it up. Yeah, I can do that. I'm really good at ticked off all the things that I could felt that I could achieve. So moved back to Australia and studied philanthropy down in Swinburne, in melbourne which often does make people wonder that you can actually study philanthropy but you can it's a very important skill set and i think the sector itself is now becoming much higher level of professionalization which is really exciting of itself and i've been in philanthropy ever since so i was absolutely privileged and blessed to land on my feet and work with alan english at the english family foundation and he and i both i mean he's a self-made entrepreneur an incredible man and but we both believe that if we really want to shift the dial on outcomes in Australia, we need to think differently. And there is a space for charity, absolutely. But we had in Australia for so long just taught the sector to jump through these hoops and change will happen and it change wasn't happening. So for us, the concept of social enterprise using business in a more sustainable way, way to create these outcomes that we were all looking for in this just and equitable society that we all want to move towards was just logical so being a small family foundation we've had the privilege of being able to sort of pivot and really work towards where the gaps in the social enterprise sector are and I think that that's that's been the joy of the journey is really working closely with the sector and trying to work out where we as a philanthropy organization can best add value and try and break down some of those power imbalances that are inherent in the system
0: Mm, absolutely it's been a great journey bill and obviously the sector is is hugely grateful for the support of english family foundation and there's been a lot of work being done by the foundation uh, in support of the sector so we recognize that It's, it's great now we might head on over to camille camille Thanks again for joining us. What is it that led you to to recently starting Bloom Impact Investing,
1: Thank and you. on
0: this journey to to move forward in, and create something in, the, in this area? Tell us more about it.
1: Sure. Well, I relate to Belinda actually because there was a point in my career where what I was doing didn't align with what I what were my values. So my background is in marketing and business, and I was on a trajectory to have a lucrative e-commerce and digital marketing career and at some point I couldn't find the fulfillment that I was after and I'm really passionate about climate change. I think it is the biggest challenge that we are facing right now that has so many ramifications for all of us on a social and environmental perspective and I couldn't reconcile not putting my skills towards solving this challenge. So I joined an accelerator called Energy Lab where I was supporting. Clean tech and clean energy startups, and I thought this is great. I'm going to help solve the climate crisis. But I quickly realized that we had all the solutions at our fingertips, and issue wasn't really technical. It was really a problem of finance, mm. and this is how I fell into it. I'm not passionate about finance. wasn't passionate about finance before starting Bloom, but now I'm, I really am because yes. I see the power and the potential for change in it and so bloom was created to support our transition towards a clean energy and sustainable world so essentially helping tomorrow's businesses to scale with impact investing
0: wonderful well it's going to be really really good to follow your journey as it really advances camille because there's been such great development you know even the last six months or so alone so thanks for sharing that We might cut on back to Anna, because Anna, you have worked with a lot of different impact-led businesses and ventures over these eight or so years with PledgeMe. And many of them are women-led, female-led. And you have spoken quite a bit in the past about the success of a range of these different women-led businesses that have been using your platform. I'm keen to hear you speak about these businesses or these founders and what it was that made them successful in their campaigns or attracting finance.
2: It's really interesting to look at crowdfunding as actually being one way to make funding more accessible for groups that might might traditionally struggle to access finance. And so what we've seen through our platform is around 60% of the campaigners, the the founders, are women. Mm. And when you look at traditional venture capital, where it's 3%, we're doing really well. But I think one of the reasons for that is really that the way we operate in the crowdfunding space is it's all about activating your own crowd. And often these founders have communities that support what they do and really get their mission. And so one example of a female founder that did very well for us was a woman named Brienne West. She started a company called Gold Champ Business. and when she first started, she was at university. She lost her pitch competition and decided that in order to raise the capital that she needed, she was going to go to a crowd of customers and raise the money to go from her home kitchen into a factory. And through that crowdfunding campaign, she raised $200,000 in two weeks, which was her maximum goal. And 90% of those investors were current customers. So it was really her community that got on board with her and they got on board because she was making a stated impact on the world. She wanted to reduce plastic waste. And she wanted to stop a million bottles from going to landfill by 2020 she has since then stopped six million bottles from going to landfill by 2020 nine Huge. million bottles up till last week and her company went from i think hundred thousand dollars in revenue when she raised through us to ten million dollars in revenue last year
0: crazy growth.
2: so she is nailing it but she's nailing it while having a really clear impact goal While publicly stating that not only is she doing this environmental work, but it's either 20% of profit or 5% of revenue goes directly back into funding environmental work in the community. And so she's really like, she's just amazing. But like, yeah, she, on the face of it, when she first launched, like lost her pitch competition. Traditional investors told her they wouldn't invest because it was just soap. And now she's the fourth fastest growing company in New Zealand last year, according to the last 50
0: incredible story yeah. yeah absolutely incredible story and i imagine being able to to really hit a lot of those brick walls and sort of push past them the resilience needed even in a company like that that seems to be growing so positively requires a certain type of mindset right is there any one particular sort of quality that you think is just consistent across all the founders that you've worked with Anna?
2: i think it's just determination like you can get past the no's because there are so many all the time and just figure out how to solve a problem. Mm. And sometimes that means doing things differently. And sometimes that means just doing the thing that you think is right, even if traditional perspectives tell you it's not. And I think that's especially important in the social enterprise space, where often we come up against perspectives that try to tell us that we can't do social and commercial at the same time. And I completely disagree.
0: Great insights, Anna. Thanks for sharing that story. Let's head on over to you, Belinda, because as we mentioned, you know, you've got deep experience in the philanthropic space, and I'm keen to hear a little bit more about what you've seen in your journey around female-led businesses accessing philanthropy or different types of finance, because Anna's just provided us with some interesting stats there in terms of such a low, figure was it 3%, Anna, you said, that we're accessing typical venture capital. I'm sure, Bel, you can really add to that from the philanthropic lens.
3: Thanks, Tom. So I guess the challenge for social enterprises within the philanthropic field of funding is that philanthropy can only fund charitable, gift-deductible recipient organisations, so DGR1 organisations. And I don't think we've ever done the stats on the percentage of social enterprises in Australia that are DGR1 versus profit for purpose, but colloquially we've always sort of thought it was only about the 30% type of element and so therefore for us as a philanthropic foundation funding into social enterprise has been challenging shall we say but not impossible so I think that interesting on your 60% stat Anna because I went through the last five years worth of our own grant making towards social enterprises specific just those social enterprise grants that we've made over the last five years and 63% were to women-led Social enterprises, 33 were to male, and then about 4 or 5% were to where
4: there was a joint male and female co founder. And not to interrupt, but as Belinda and I talked beforehand, it's 60% in our pipeline of profit for purpose businesses are women. There you go, the magical number
3: for some strange reason. So, I guess the issue for philanthropy is that you can access grant funding if you have DGR1, or corpus investment as an impact investment. And philanthropy is only a very small part of the pie. But I think it's a really interesting part of the pie, because it's very much it's less risk averse. And it can go for those really interesting catalytic capital type of prove the pilot, get government on board once that's up and running. So I think there is no hard and fast data in philanthropy around the gender issue. Obviously, mm-hmm. gender lens in grant making is a really big issue, but that's more about the recipients, the actual community that you're benefiting being women and children led there was a study done in 2018 by on the smarty grants organization through our community and it said that there was no bias that philanthropy in australia assessed grants on the sectoral issue rather than the gender issue so and i think that that pretty much reflects what i've seen certainly amongst the cohort that i've been working with that a lot of philanthropy has a very sector driven approach, they might be passionate about homelessness, they might be passionate about zero waste, all of those sorts of issues and therefore all of those applications from a grant point of view or from an impact investing point of view are assessed on the actual impact that they're making and I think what we have to also think about is within the grant making world and grant seeking world traditionally it's a very female dominated environment so whilst the trustees are still shall we say not female led necessarily but the initial gatekeepers are often women and women who are really there because they give it they really care, and I think that resonates quite a lot on this on the issue rather than whether it's come from, from a male or a female, and I think that that's quite different from a granting point of view than from an impact investing point of view. And in, in Australia, Philanthropy has just started tipping its toe in. There's been some fantastic impact investors, but it was really interesting. I thought Philanthropy Australia did a some research in May that was posted, or not post, but in the COVID philanthropic response. And it was interesting to see that of Philanthropy across Australia, 7% said that they were currently doing impact investing, but 23% so that they were considering it and looking mm. at their options. And that's a really, I mean, I know that 70% said they weren't, but that's still an incredible increase yep. from 7 to 20%, that's 30% then that is potentially interested and, and looking for opportunities. And I think that that of itself speaks volumes. And perhaps a bit later we can get down into some of the the issues around how to approach philanthropy on that side
0: yeah really really interesting insights there Belinda thanks for sharing and interestingly from both of those sort of percentage figures both Lisa and Belinda were talking about that sort of 60% mark for the first two years of our Elevate Plus accelerator program 68% of the participants were female-led and that was through competitive application and gender sort of played no issue in it as a deciding factor of who would really come through there it dropped a little bit in that in that third year and the cohort of which Camille took part but we've largely seen that a lot of these social entrepreneurs are female-led now you have mentioned Belinda impact investing a little bit and I mean Lisa this is really your specialty and an interesting stat coming through there too so let's talk a little bit more about impact investment so for our listeners how does impact investment differ to traditional investment uh, or business investing and what interesting opportunities have you seen for for women in the space Lisa
4: thanks Tom Impact investment is hugely growing around the world. We're a little bit behind in Australia, so it gives lots of opportunities. The definition of it is important because it's basically that there's financial returns plus social and or environmental returns and these days it's not an expectation it can be but it's not an expectation that you're going to forgive the financial returns it's an expectation that fantastic long-term sustainable organizations that are looking after their stakeholders will be long term and sustainable because they've got a social impact as well Mm. and or an environmental impact What it means for our founders is that it's a new market so it's it's coming our way there aren't many funds for startups which is why we're starting impact fund but this is but this resonates very much with female founders because a lot of the female founders do want to produce something that has not only just financial returns, and we can go through all the psychology of, of why. But there's a few organizations in Australia that are pushing this really well. CEO, which is looking at the, the venture capital system for women doesn't work for whatever reason. So they're mm. creating a different type of system for women supporting women. So I encourage everybody to go with that. And also there's scale investors, women supporting women out of Melbourne, who are two great organizations. You can go into what else would you like to hear, Tom?
0: You've you've spoken a little bit about the fund that you're currently raising, Lisa. So tell us more about that and the purpose of doing that.
4: Thank you. The purpose of it is to provide equity seed and Series A, so early stage funding to organisations looking for say 300k upwards to scale up. They're already established. They've probably got some revenues. They've got great business models, cash flow forecasts, etc. And the reason why we're doing it is it doesn't exist in Queensland. It ex- there's a couple in Australia. There's a few in Australia. But we see that big gap of where do these great organisations go next after they've know maybe had some grants they've done the family and friends they found a high net worth where do they go next so we need this in our ecosystem in australia so our fund is opening officially in march but please anybody interested come and talk to us at impact fund before that and the reason why i do it is because just like what everybody said i love what camille's what everyone has said of like how do we create social impact and if we're not growing small for-purpose businesses ones that you see tom and impact boom and as they move if we're not helping to grow and scale them with the right funding they're not going to go anywhere great
0: great perspectives lisa thanks for sharing that Camille, I'd love to hear a little bit more from you as well, because you're in the process of building a tech platform and a community for ethical and environmental investment. So what have you learned or what insights do you have on how women typically invest and how are you seeking to to help people do this in a way that helps our planet?
1: Sure. So I'm going to share something that everyone suspects and then I'm going to try to debunk it. So it is said that women less inclined to taking risk. What is true is that they are perhaps more goals oriented when they invest. But there's an in- interesting study that has been done by the German Institute for Economical Research last year that found that yes, 38% of women versus 45% of men were invested in risky financial products such as stocks. But they also found that these women had half as much to invest. And if they had more to invest, they would be more likely to take some more risks. Mm. So I just wanted to point out here that in Australia, unfortunately, there's still a 13.9% gender pay gap. And I think it's important here to understand that if we empower women to build their wealth, then we will balance things out in terms of risk appetites. Now, in terms of my experience, discussing and working with female investors, what I find is that increasingly, and I'm perhaps more talking about the millennial investors, we are rejecting old ways of investing via financial advisors or via family traditions. Young female are seeking to invest, to inform themselves first. They want to know where their money is going and to do that, they massively turn towards the internet and towards communities. And they are getting smarter and smarter. There are some fantastic initiatives right now in Australia that demonstrate this trend. So I will just cite a few. There is the Ladies' Finance Club. There is Verb Super for the Super segment. There's also a fantastic podcast called She's On The Money. And what those communities do is that they create a safe space, similarly to what we're doing today. And women get to learn and exchange tips and they get bolder and bolder in their approach to finance so i think yeah that's that's my humble learnings along the way
0: Some really interesting learnings there camille as well around how our younger generations i think you know those perspectives you shared there really really align with our millennials expecting more you know not just from their investments but you know who they're yeah. who, who they employ or who they're employed that's by right.
1: They want to work for, they want to buy, they want to invest in things they can believe, but they also don't want to um, they don't want to compromise on <laughs> the quality, on the returns, they want it all. And this is why I'm creating Bloom to really create that return. But the impact as well is really important. And companies today have no escape. They cannot cheat their consumers. People are too educated nowadays so it's all about creating that impact and financial return at the same time
0: mm. yeah absolutely thank you camille look in in the theme of impact gatherings right this we're really here to have these candid conversations with women and for those that have joined us late i'm stepping in for carly doll today of mama got skills who's currently unwell but on that note i'm really keen to hear from the whole panel about what you believe needs to be done to provide better support for women entrepreneurs what can we do i mean within your respective areas you know anna from a general crowdfunding sense or even just a general sort of entrepreneurship sense lisa impact investment belinda philanthropy camille from sort of going doing the hard yards yourself what where are you seeing key gaps here who would like to kick it off should i throw the ball to anna
2: oh man i have so many thoughts on this and that's why i was like maybe i shouldn't jump in first (laughs) I guess my sense is that I've definitely faced issues being a female founder, growing this company, having people sort of not believe that I founded a tech company through to not wanting to invest in me because they didn't believe what we're doing. And some of that's gender-based. Some of that is age-based potentially as well. But having personally faced some of these issues, I always really struggle when people say like women need to be more confident or women need to do this about themselves or they need to be more educated or all of that stuff. Cause I'm like, I'm not even doing it. It's not, that's not the issue that I'm facing right now. I'm sort of facing the issue that people don't believe me, which is that me or is that society? And Mm. like, then what do we do about that? So I guess my thing is like to support women, I think just back them. And that doesn't mean you have to invest in them. That's buying their products. That's just believing in them. That's giving them a hug when it's really hard. Mm. Because That's always really useful. But yeah, I think, I think supporting women is probably trying to figure out how to reframe it, that it's not just be more confident. It's like, what is it that we can do really to back female founders and other founders that might not be what we traditionally expect to see
0: mm. in these. Thanks, Anna. Sorry,
2: rant over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's great. It's great to hear those learnings there. So Belinda, Lisa, that resonate with you both?
4: Yeah, I think the beauty of CEO, which has been like a surprise success, has been that it's been women around women, and they have a radical generosity theme, which is like learn to ask and give, which most women you know do give, but it's that sort of cultural systemic change that really has enabled some fantastic things to come out of it, which yeah. just follows up what Anna's saying. I think there's also something about a skill area. So for whatever reason, women might be running, uh, being an entrepreneur, but they might have some skill or they do have skill gaps that guys might not have just because of our education system, our STEM, whatever. So how do we find those skill gaps and quickly uh, apply them? The other point is the federal government's got the female founders program, which I know Camille is possibly part of, which is great. It's fantastic. Let's have more of those of supporting female founders, rewarding them and, and helping them
0: along. Thanks, Lisa. Let's cross to you, Belinda. Does that make sense?
4: Absolutely.
1: Camille, did you just want to say something? Go first. I will add a point later. Okay, great.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point, Lisa, about Shio and also about the federal government in our founders because I think sort of within the impact investment scene, what we're seeing is that the very clear analysis that women pay fairer wages, they employ other women, they have actually are often closer to the issues, the social issues, they're more family friendly. So interestingly, we're seeing in like the Asia-Pacific region a real growth in opportunities for female-led businesses to access impact investing. We've got the Impact Investing Exchange on their third series of female bonds. But We're not seeing that replicated here in Australia so the social impact investment task force which is a federal government initiative which is fantastic and really looking at the impact investing sector and what the government should be doing i remember way back in the early days of their consultation it was like please go look at what DFAT is doing because DFAT is funding women focused enterprises right throughout the asia pacific region and they're doing particular programs that are really focused they've got pacific rise they've got an incredible gender lens investing program which is really really globally starting to be acknowledged and i think if we can actually replicate some of those gender lens investing issues here and domestically then that starts to unlock and normalize that type of behavior and i think a lot of impact investors need that structure to be able to take those first steps. And, and Lisa and I talked about this earlier about the issue around due diligence being a really in, in, in a big barrier quite often within philanthropy, say, on the impact investment space. We know how to assess social impact but not necessarily the financial side. So where the due diligence is done is often through a structure and that, like what Lisa's talking about, and that starts to simplify access. And so if we can build products that have as investment as their core component, like we have seen in Africa and throughout the Asia-Pacific region, then that starts to really bring that level of product to the table that investors can then actually get on board.
0: Mm, interesting points, Belinda. Thanks for sharing those. We're getting close to our wrap-up time and Q&A, so we might finish with you, Camille, before we maybe uh, see if there's any other quick thoughts that we can all add as a panel. Camille.
1: Thank you. Sure, yeah, I would love to add two points to all the brilliant ideas and thoughts that have been already shared. I think there's two things we need to keep in mind as well. And I will talk from my experience in clean energy and clean tech, where there is a massive discrepancy between male led businesses and female led businesses. We're talking 10 to 20% female led businesses. There's a problem of visibility, and I think uh, you cannot be what you cannot see. So we need women to be more visible. And this is what today is all about, right? Getting female founder, a platform to be more visible. And that will inspire the next generation of founders. I myself am very grateful for some programs or some networks I've been able to, I guess, join five years ago. I truly planted a seed in my mind. To become a founder. And I thought, well, maybe I can be that person too. But every time I, I can assure you that these were women that inspired me to become a founder myself. So visibility is the first point. The second point is I think we need to redesign the ecosystem supporting founders and being by being a lot more intentional. Talking VC funds, I'm talking ec- accelerators. We know that there is not enough female founders, so we have to be deliberate about it. We have to be conscious of our bias when we select candidates and we have to develop programs that work for women. Energy mm-hmm. Lab, which we're really close with, have developed a women in clean tech program and that has been co-developed with interviewing founder um, female interested in this space. Simple things like making it work for mums by doing the program from six to eight and not in the middle of the day. So just, yeah, being a bit more intentional.
0: Great points there, Camille. Thank you for that. We're about to wrap up there. So were there any parting thoughts, Anna, Belinda, Lisa, before we cut to the Q&A?
4: Just start the thing, do the yeah. thing. And, and agreeing with Anna, it's, it's back the women. The women who are driving the social impact, profit for purpose organizations are, create, are changing the world and it's women doing it, so let's back them and work out what they need. Yeah,
0: absolutely, Lisa. But
4: following what everything Camille said, go Camille,
2: and they may not always ask for help, yeah, so that's right. just help them. That's
0: right. Fantastic, great points to end there on. So a huge thanks to all of you, Anna Gunther. Lisa Siganto, Belinda Morrissey, and Camille Socket-Clerk. Really, really appreciate your really generous insights and time today. And we'll certainly look forward to supporting and doing what we can to put a spotlight on the work that you're doing, particularly when it's supporting women-led enterprises. So thanks again. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people, and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org.